Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Oliver Gatz from Northwest London, and you're listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, why are there so many chefs on television? What actual function do they serve outside of their overpriced and expensive restaurants and bistros? And also the fact that a lot of them are personality free. Okay, here comes the show. And remember, question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor Dane Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer. Hello! And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked. And we are talking everything from... Well, we're talking everything from Oliver from Northwest London's questions. Why are there so many celebrity chefs on television? Uh, <laughs> Dane, uh, got any thoughts on that? There, there are quite a lot of them. They are a lot. They are, there are loads of them and there's a lot of cooking competitions. And I think that it's uh, probably down, Oliver, to how cost-effective it is to make cooking shows. It's probably like one camera that just focuses on the cooking at the same time. I don't know. I think it's also to do with just the... the I, think, I think the simple fact that it's it's a relatable thing that you could aspire to and therefore... Do you know what I mean? Like a lot of yeah, things everybody, people do everybody on... Yeah, everybody eats food. Everybody yeah, eats so food, a lot right? of things that people do on television, I don't think you think you can do it. Uh, whereas when you watch a celebrity chef, you might think to yourself, ah, maybe I could be that... Guy, Especially you know? if it's Ainsley Harriet because he's the nicest <laughs> one. Because people come on his show and say they can't cook and they won't cook, and he's like, "That's fine." Yeah, don't yeah. try that stuff with Gordon Ramsay though. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know what? Suffice to say, on this show, we ask and answer all the questions, like that one from Oliver. Absolutely, no question should affect your allergies, and none of the ingredients are ones for a disaster. So, if you do like the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, or follow us on Spotify, and you'll never miss an episode. Or you can subscribe to us on Acast, the world's biggest podcast network, where you can hear all of the very special questions being asked and answered by our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show, our guest is a super producer and acclaimed recording artist. He spent his early years in Barbados before moving to the UK, where he immersed himself in Caribbean culture over here, becoming one of the most important figures in British reggae. He has gone on to work alongside chart-topping artists including Janet Kay, Edwin Collins, Orange Juice, The Boomtown Rats, Sade, Jarvis Cocker, Banana Rama, Bobby Gillespie, Boy George, Arcade Fire and Josh Stone. His new album, The Dubmaster, The Essential Anthology, is available on double vinyl, two CD and digital formats. So it's safe to say we are in the presence of British music royalty. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Dennis Bowell. How you doing? Welcome, Thanks sir. Thanks for your invitation. Yes, sir. It's a pleasure to have you on here. Um, suffice it to say, so far as uh, musical alumni, um, you might be one of our most esteemed guests. So thank you very much for coming to the show. How are you doing? I'm feeling good. I hope you guys are too. We're great. What a list of people, Dennis. Blind. Yeah. What a, you've, you've, it's amazing. It's, it's such diversity. Yeah, you missed out Linton Cressy Johnson, but that's oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of, all, of all people, yeah, definitely. That's one of the first people that come up on the Wikipedia search as well. But um, yeah, it's safe, yeah. safe to say, uh, Mr. Dennis Bobble, you've had an illustrious career. Um, how have you been, um, you know, as a as a creative that spanned generations? How was the pandemic for you? Well, um, the pandemic was, um, in some ways, a saving grace because it stopped me rushing around the world like a madman. Yeah. I was frequently between uh, Buenos Aires and Tokyo. Mm. I mean, if you can think of the distances there. And um, so at the beginning of the pandemic, the, the prime minister of Barbados summoned me to Barbados mm -hmm. to adorn me with the Pride of Barbados Award, oh, which, wow. you know, that stopped me in my tracks. I was like, "What? Well, can she do it next week? Because and, and, uh, <laughs> I'm quite busy. The person um, carrying the, the messenger said, you don't understand. 
She's doing it on Sunday. Be here. And that was on the <laughs> Friday. So, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, quite, I called up my good friends. Mm, called up my good friends, British Airways, and said, can you take me to Barbados, please? And I said, sure, I'm like, tomorrow. <laughs> so I arrived and did that. And then um, when I came back, I was um, summoned by Jarvis Cocker mm-hmm. to do a mix of um, his Swanky Modes tune. So I nice. did a couple of mixes and uh, he said, can you do another one? I went, yeah, I did another one. And he went, right, I like all three of them. And for all, released all three of them. So I was wow. like, oh, all right, then, Jarvis, good. <laughs> and then um, I was contacted by a friend, um, Pete Smith, who, 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 who was around with the Beastie Boys, right. you know, whom I met when Linton Cressy Johnson and I toured America uh, in the 80s. And uh, he said, look, I've got this group by the name of Spoon, and um, I'm wanting you to mix a dub mix of their single. And I was like, well, send it to me. And he said, well, I'm going to send you the album because I don't really know what the single's going to be. Can you choose? <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> I listened to the album for a week or so, and then I said, look, this is very difficult because there is at least five songs here that have got single potential. Right. And he said, mix them all. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. So I got, in, I got into that. And then um, on the back it's of It's a seriously that, busy pandemic, yeah, then. It's yeah. a busy man. <laughs> The thing is, right, that um, I had a bubble. There was just a room that could hold about three people, and there was two of us in it. And um, Dave McEwen, the engineer whose uh, facility is, it's just a mixing room. You know, it's not um, a recording studio as such, although it's classed as a recording studio. It's just a Mm. mixing room. So with two of us in there, it was pretty full. And uh, because we, we were... A bubble. <laughs> we had a bubble. <laughs> we had a bubble. And um, then came Johnny Greenwood. Oh, my word. The, the famous Radiohead, one of the lead men in Radiohead. Absolutely. Well, Johnny and um, Tom, Tom York, had just formed a group with um, Tom Skinner. And that group was called The Smile. And when they recorded their first single... Johnny called me up and said, um, I've just recorded this and I want you to mix it. In fact, here are the stems. He didn't give me a chance to say yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> here are the stems. <laughs> right. So I rose to the challenge and mixed a, a 12 inch uh, version of their new song, The Smoke. Wow. And uh, it, it, was, it went so well, they released it two weeks early. Wow. Well, yeah, look, Dennis, that is the, the that is a prolific pandemic if I've ever heard one. Dennis. It really yes. is. And it explains well, why there's so many TV chefs on TV because all the musicians <laughs> are busy working in their studios or in right. mixing rooms or transversing the planet. So, yeah. but, you know, it's uh, it's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane, as the format of this show dictates? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. As you've already alluded to, Mr. Dennis Bubble, we are aware of your illustrious history. And therefore, as our esteemed guest, we'd like to invite you to ask the first question, any question you'd like for about, and we'd like to discuss that question for 15 minutes or so. Then Howard here would like to pose you a question. We should discuss for the same amount of time. Then an interesting twist as a bonus track, I'd like to ask you a question to discuss for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then we'd like for you to tell all of our listeners about your amazing discography and when they can find out about your works past, present and future. How does that sound? Okay. Cool. Sounds good to me. Then the uh, floor is <laughs> yours to ask in. the first question. Yeah, absolutely. The floor is yours. I'm going to ask a question and go who is um, still mindful of the dreaded virus and uh, who doesn't care about it anymore and um, are we being um, hoodwinked with other items in the news that takes our focus away from that health issue Interesting. Can I ask what what inspired that question, Dennis? Because we always like to know where it's come from. Well, I'm a frequent traveller on the transport system. And uh, you see some people wearing uh, face coverings and others not. I Mm. wonder if the ones that are not wearing the face coverings are just not bothered 
or the ones that are wearing the face covers are um, overly protective. It's so interesting. I, I, I am. We're talking about London here, right, Dennis? Yeah. That's right. And like, I'm, I'm thinking similar things, and I'm sure Dane is. Like, it's, it, it, it does feel a very uncertain time to know yes. what that thing that ruined a lot of our lives. Yeah, and how uh, quickly means. it disappeared. Yeah. And, and where is it gone? Why are well, we not hearing about it anymore? I tell you, um, one of the reasons is just, and and I'm very happy for anyone to tell me wrong on the internet uh, <laughs> about mm. it. But obviously, the the fact that so many of us have been been vaccinated uh, right. is reducing the extreme uh, health numbers by a big percentage. So, like you know, and that's not to say that there aren't people who could catch it and have real issues, right, Dane? But like, yeah. th- there is a there is a uh, a definite thing of. This amount of people have been vaccinated in the UK, and therefore your your potential relatively be, safe. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if I ever feel safe uh, about anything, uh, you know, <laughs> really. But like when you think about how many people have been vaccinated, you know, it, it, it's 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 forty nine million people. That's seventy five percent of the population, right? Pretty much. Right. So that's seventy five percent, particularly if you are young and not got any particular health problems is um you know if you caught covid the probability is you you're 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 going to be okay barring this i must stress because <laughs> we're going to get messages right <laughs> yeah. barring barring this percentage of people who do not fit to that which is why it is right to question it dennis like i think because it's an uncertainty right absolutely and in fact um i'm wondering if there's any cover-up because the drug companies are now releasing their statistics and right. it's being spoken about in the House of Parliament uh, uh, as a kind of, oh, by the way, and when, when this report is going on, there's hardly anybody there to hear it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, our, our trust in those people, as Dame will explain, is pretty limited. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, and yeah, and, and thanks to Howard, and I, and I really think, uh, Dennis, that it's the uh, the execution of the anti-COVID measures that were taken by the government have led to this confusion. So I yes. think that those, the demographics who are still using masks and you're still using PPE in public spaces and those that aren't, it's really based on how people consume their media. I think... People who maybe are health aware or people who've had access to the vaccination who are paying attention to certain news outlets probably are reducing the amount of PPE they use and maybe only observing um, COVID protocols maybe in professional and public spaces. Um, Whereas I feel there are some people who never conceded to COVID protocols and maybe protested against both um, lockdown measures as well as mm. uh, vaccination measures, will probably still make up the group of people now who have not wearing masks and are probably able to do so without looking as conspicuous because all of these COVID protocols have been relaxed. Mm. I think that because there's been no definitive answer from the powers that be as to the state of immunity and the state of um, COVID cases and no mm. trustable numbers, that have led to like people, I think that some people might in some situations wear a mask and in some situations they may not wear a mask depending on whatever the protocols are of where they're going. And yeah, I just think that the entirety of the uh, population so far as COVID is really determined by the media. And I think there's some cultural influences there as well. So I think it's very tough because especially now, You've had people who would have been observing lockdown measures despite not having any COVID symptoms, never contracting COVID, who are now watching an investiga- investigation unfold where mm. the government, the people that determined and set these COVID protocols, flatter them themselves. So I think some of the people, the kind of people that you're seeing now who are not wearing PPE, who are not necessarily acquiescing to uh, COVID restrictions, maybe are doing so as a form of dissent or protest because they're like, well, if my prime minister won't do it and they're still having parties and the government are still having parties, then what was the point of me staying at home and staying away from my family? Like even the queen obeyed COVID protocols and then our own government didn't. So I think that would be a part of the justification you're seeing now for people not using PPE. I think the reduction in focus on COVID has probably been for that reason that you have a... um, contingent of people within the government that maybe won't talk about COVID 
to kind of die down because that COVID conversation leads to us scrutinizing the government for not obeying the same rules that they set for us mm. in the country. Um, I think the reason why it's not at the forefront of people's minds anymore is because, as Howard said, like 75% of the population have been vaccinated. And because of that herd immunity, I think there are some people that presume that if enough people have had the vaccination, then how much of a danger can I be possibly? Which can kind of be, in some cases, kind of a selfish way to be if people are like, well, I don't have to do it because enough other people have done it, which I guess is quite selfish. But I'd argue again that that is a uh, pattern of behaviour that has been somewhat encouraged by the powers that be. Because I can mm-hmm. critique somebody and be like, well, if you're not getting vaccinated or not taking COVID precautions, then you're putting everybody else in danger. But what example mm-hmm. are they following if the people themselves that have set said rules are not following the rules? It'd be, you know, hypocritical of me to say that I would not display a certain level of dissent based on the way the government behaves myself. Because, for mm-hmm. example, Dominic Cummings, I think he had up to 20,000 £20, of parking fines written off for whatever reason. And I feel like if he doesn't have to pay parking fines, why should I? Absolutely. Dominic Cummings has spent more time in central London in more congestion zones and ULA zones than I ever did during the pandemic. And yet a government official who's already salarized by the taxpayer now gets to avoid, you know, the same penalties as any normal civilian, which to me doesn't really make any sense. And I think COVID has definitely highlighted some of the um, inequality and disparity between rights of citizens versus those who determine the laws and those who are civil servants. And I think this the conversation has been moved across. I, I think you're right. But it's also that thing of like, we're two years in, right? Yeah. To this, it was, you know, kind of February, March 2020, right? So like, I don't think there's anyone who isn't bored of it and sick of it. And therefore that has played in. Why, why a news agenda can kind of move on for like, you know, if you go on a website or whatever the website, they're keen to, because which probably people just don't want to click on this stuff anymore. No. <laughs> there, there's, other, there's one other question lurking in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. And that is, um, obviously for humanitarian reasons, we've been invited to um, have people from across the sea um, another part of Europe um, for their to protect them, right? Uh, but at the same time, what is the status of those people that we're invited to bring into our homes? Have they been vaccinated? Does anybody know? Good question. Are we screening it? And I think once you juxtapose the current uh, humanitarian measures being taken to grant asylum to and provide shelter and housing for Ukrainian refugees without any kind of screening makes the whole process on both sides very dubious. It's dubious because of the fact that this country has had such rigid and stringent anti-immigration laws against uh, asylum seekers from places such as South Sudan or Syria, North Africa. Mm. Correct. In the Ukraine, there doesn't seem to be the same kind of scrutiny. And it must be be worth saying as well, just in case anyone's missed, we're not we're not having a go at the people coming over here for not being vaccinated. No. It's more that the government. Uh, what is your? Is anyone thinking about this? Like, well, even you, even Ukrainians, if they're coming over and maybe they don't have COVID, are we being moved into houses with people who aren't vaccinated? Because there might be people who are having taken Ukrainian refugees, but aren't as happy as about getting a vaccination or a booster for COVID. Right. So maybe we are predisposing them to infection by them being in a house that they may not necessarily be able to leave if we introduce them to a bubble. Of infection and, and it's it's a really good question because it's it's for me I guess the short answer is the reason why people don't really seem to care as much or they're happy to move on is because we are so subject to on one side to media manipulation and on the other side of resu- as a result of which a lot of people are so resistant to paying attention to the media finding any truths about this especially after two years of people openly being able to say I don't have to listen to scientists. we've almost regressed into this kind of like neo-peasantry where people are resistant to science and people don't like experts Dane everyone don't like experts (laughs) when did did that become a thing that people don't like experts it's and that's I mean it's it's normally in the midst of a humanitarian crisis that we're able to encourage people through fear to throw away any kind of notion of rationality and Mm. so you know and that's you add that to the fact that the leader of the free world at the time encouraged people to use ultraviolet light or inject bleach directly into their bloodstream. Like it's, it's, um, 
It's no surprise we're confused. Yes, yeah, so it's no surprise at all that we're confused. And then now where you have what's even stranger about like the uh, Russian-Ukrainian uh, crisis is the fact that for many years, we've happily, as economies in the UK and the States, happily subsisted of or taken subsidies from Russian oligarchs and Russian money. And we've seen extrajudicial killings taking place on British soil. Mm-hmm. So the fact that any of us are surprised that that precipitated into a conflict within the Crimea and in Ukraine, why are we even surprised there? So I guess really what the question is what the real disease was, I'd say as well, Dennis. Is the disease COVID or a form of respiratory illness or was the disease really ignorance and the exploitation of the poor? Because mm-hmm. you know, for, for a long time, you know, as I said, you know, you being a Caribbean immigrant, we all sat here and watched how the wind rush was taking place concurrently alongside uh, the right. pandemic and there's been deportations up until that point. But I found it was very interesting that for a long time, continental African countries and Caribbean countries had reported no incidences of COVID. And it was only after their interaction with ecotourism from Europe that these cases started coming up. Yeah. And it's very strange because of the fact that, you know, um, normally uh, epidemics or endemic disease are associated with countries that make up the diaspora. Um, and yet we weren't really affected by this, but strangely, we're still subject to a lot more stricter immigration and tra- travel laws mm. than our Ukrainian peers, despite the fact that they're not providing any papers when they're fleeing this place. So it's yeah, a mess. I, it's, it's a, a mess it's, like a lot of things in our world. Yeah, it's a real mess. And I think, and I think the, uh, the train is representative of that, that, when you get onto public transport in London, you see some people with masks, some people without masks, some people with shoddy masks, some people who very clearly at no point were wearing a mask throughout the, the pandemic. I think that that whole um, is a sample representation of how misled and how many different directions the uh, collective British consciousness is being moved into mm-hmm. by uh, media interests. Just out of interest, what what uh, what are your policies? Are you wearing masks still? Or? Of course, um, because my mother always said you can't be too careful <laughs> yeah 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 and, and really really on, on the train is like a mask is never really that bad a thing when you take into account pollution and just normal airborne diseases like if you have yeah. to someone remember we used to laugh at we used to laugh at people from the far east who is kind of uh, normal policy yeah. right people used to be like point, why are they wearing masks well we soon found out because <laughs> yeah. i mean and I'm wondering how many people that laughed at Michael Jackson are laughing now. Yeah, yeah. and once again, it's clear that Michael Jackson knew something that we didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is a brilliant question and one that would be interesting. It's one of those questions that you've asked, someone's asked on the show and in time, uh, maybe six months, it'll be interesting to think back on where we were at, right, Dane, mm-hmm. and, and how the situation has changed. But... Um, that is that is that is a lot of unpacking we've done there on a on a Mate. yeah good 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 job Dennis I've got a very different question by the okay. way but like I'm gonna say thank you that was a that was a beautiful question um, mine oh, thank you. mine is definitely directed towards you Dennis because me and Dane is here to learn from you uh, yeah. like some of our listeners and you know I I spend a bit of time you know diving into your 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 life and history and, and saw some incredible pictures of you Dennis when you were <laughs> a young man. And, um, you know, uh, I then obviously saw some recent pictures, some solid beard work going on. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, very solid beard work. And, uh, the, platinum, the platinum beards. On the the platinum edition, right? The platinum <laughs> yeah. edition. <laughs> and, you know, I hope you, you know, don't mind me, you know, confirming that, you, you know, you're, you're a man, you know, uh, I think you're uh, approaching uh, 70. Uh, if that's, that's right. Yeah. Three score and 10. And listen, man, I've got to tell you, like, I'm approaching 40, right? And I'm starting to sweat, right? I'm starting to sweat. <laughs> so listen, give me some give me some gold. Tell me, you are a vibrant, incredible, energetic, you seem like a happy man. Give me some yeah. advice about get, get going on well, in life, getting to those next stages. You should um, decrease the amount of beer you drink. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm told by my physician that uh, bear is the single uh, most uh, thing likely to put excess sugar in your blood because we drink so much of it, you know, flippantly just go, oh, let's have another bear, another bear. And it's mounting up. And if you're worried at all about um, 
your blood sugar levels. One way to address that is to decrease your intake of beer. Sorry, hmm. beer companies, but hello. <laughs> I mean, you know, pe- <laughs> we're not sponsored going, by any of them. It's fine. People go into pubs and park there and, and end up drinking upwards of, you know, seven or eight pints, hmm. you know, and um, it's unhealthy. Also, um, my use of ginger is very important. Um, I buy ginger by the kilos, um, and uh, the ginger I'm using is like African ginger from Uganda and places like that, uh, which is stronger than other ginger. I mean, there there was a a shipment of ginger from um, Peru, which was organic ginger. Now, I've availed myself of a machine that I squeeze the ginger and make it into juice, right? And then Mm. every day I take a tot of that, mixing it with, um, I don't know, pineapple juice and water or, you know, things that are, are not so sugary. And ginger is like, you know, the thing. I mean, you see how many... Um, culinary people use it to spice up the food, but um, it's also a, a blood cleaner. Right. So if you take, you know, a reasonable amount of ginger on a daily basis, it kind of um, keeps the lurgy at bay. I'm literally, I've got my Ocado shop open actually at the moment. I'm literally just about to order some ginger then because uh, that's honestly, so ginger, I, I'm not a massive fan. Dame ginger. I mean, it's in various incarnations, I enjoy ginger. I'm not necessarily a ginger beer fan, but I'm aware of its healing properties. So I normally will have ginger in like a smoothie with some turmeric and yeah. like a shot that kind of cleanses you out or like a nice blend of ginger. It's also like a staple of a lot of like Asian food anyway. So yeah. um, I have it then. Um, but then, yeah, it's normally in the Caribbean, ginger, garlic. They're all, uh, as roots, they're like staples of, yeah. I said, the lurgy, any kind of autoimmune issues or any issues that yeah. could be... Uh, catalyzed by a change in your pH or change in your blood acidity. Like ginger mm-hmm. is very good at providing that kind of cleansing as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Those right. So ginger remedies. is what has kept Dennis at the peak of his power. Because I just feel like, Dane, like, you know, I don't want to be an idiot or anything, but like, you know, we're not old, right? But like, I'm definitely feeling like I'm getting older. And <laughs> well, yeah, but, that, but that's, isn't that a psychological thing? Because I wanted to add on to your question, Howard, uh, ask. Uh, Mr. Bubble, like, do you think that aging um, begins physically or psychologically? Ooh. It begins when you're born, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's a very wise answer. So, <laughs> so I get that totally. My, my young son says, Dad, there is one thing that goes up and never comes down. I go, what's that? He's going, your age. So true. So true. It's it's tough as well because I think in entertainment there is such a focus on youth and this commodification of it to the point where Absolutely. sometimes that's sold more than um, experience and musical competence and it's like we want this to be the face of music for some reason when I think in any discipline you have to put in 10,000 hours to reach the point of expert and or that's it's said that you should do 10,000 hours to develop competence or something and so the idea that you can remain young while pursuing uh the closest you can to expert expert level or or perfection in art means you're never going to end being a young person and obviously your experiences feed into what you create as well which can only come with the time um taken to interact with other people so and do plenty of walking Walking, oh. I was going to say exercise. Exercise is the one thing that keeps me not turning into sludge, really. But That's walking thing. is your thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I've been given a, a Chinese exercise where you clap your hands nine times, then <laughs> you, you cup your hand and hit your um, the opposite side of your elbow nine times, either side. Right. Then you put your left hand behind your head and hit, under your left armpit nine times with your right hand cupped. And then do it nine times again. So I call it 81s because in all told, you're doing that 81 times. Right. And I do it every day. You do it every day? Yes. I get it. It keeps keeps you sharp. It's like a motor neuron practice. They like do different... uh, Yeah. And your blood blood goes around your vein, you know. It's like um, dialyzing yourself... Um, sort of. Oh, okay. 
Wow. And 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 because the thing that I think about, like, okay, so you've given me like eat some healthy stuff, like ginger's Mm -hmm. a good tip. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Like that. Yeah. Exercise, find yeah. your thing, get your thing. Yeah. It's the brain. It's the brain that thinks to me. And your brain, to be able to do what you do to this level, to this extent, you know, to, for these many years, is, uh, mm. is it... Because I think people get tired of their work, right? And obviously, we're like seriously fortunate people who get to be yeah. passionate and really care about what they do. Not a lot of people do. How do you keep fresh in your work, Dennis? That would be useful to, to get well, here. Um, in my work, whenever I'm composing, I never listen to the radio or stuff like that because the temptation to regurgitate something that you heard that you like is too great. Hmm. So I, I try and you know, reach in myself to pull out um, what I feel is needed for what it is that I'm doing. I mean, if it's um, music to poetry or just songs, you know, the the chords have to relate to the subject matter Mm. for me. So, you know, I, I, I put them all in the same shaker and whatever I come out with or sometimes... I may be just walking down the road and uh, like once uh, a motorbike sped past me. I was like, and I was on my way to the studio. And when I got there, the first thing I wanted to do on the track was to have a sound that went, because (laughs) the sound of that motorbike was in the key of the song that I was working on. And I thought, "Mm, let me incorporate that real quick. So it's things like that, you know, or um, you could be, on a bus and hear a baby cry and the and the tone that the baby cries is a new tune and you think if i repeat that repeat that repeat that i could um, <laughs> yeah. you know it's like the start yeah. of um isn't she lovely by stevie wonder right like that Absolutely. baby noise was like yeah everything to the start of everything to like, the start. Or, or for some younger people as well as the use of a baby giggling in are you that somebody by Aaliyah? like right timberland always takes like a lot of these um non-conventional sounds like he even has in the song cry me rhythm with justin timberlake he puts um godzilla hmm. roaring in the mm. coder of in the in the coder of the song you can hear it in the background and stuff as well so right it's fascinating yeah. it's fascinating I, I think the thing that you said that I, probably will resonate with me for 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 many many who knows how long it'll resonate with me for but like it, is is the idea of not taking in external sources when you're trying to create your thing that's right because uh, i can tell you categorically working in television for the last decade that that is what I'm told to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the I am told to go. People will, and look, I don't blame people for this, by the way. You know, people are, you know, not everyone's working on the same, you know, they're not everyone's the same. And some people, maybe some people, it works really well for them to look at a successful show and go, oh, we want something like that. But yeah. the reality is, by doing that, you're not leading to anything that should surprise anyone. And also, you're probably, to, I think, at least with TV, maybe music, it's all different. You're just trying to emulate something that's already good. So why are you not kind of trying to come up with a thing that's just good on its own merit? Show yeah. business, that's, show, that's the business part of show business, Howard, unfortunately. Yeah. Is that uh, um, products, when you introduce a new product, um, it follows the, well, the product life cycle, isn't it? We have early adopters mm. and then trendsetters, which allow it to re- re- rise to a certain level of prominence. And then what mm. tends to happen is that when that proves to be an innovation that people like, then the more risk adverse 
larger parts of the market would then do the same things and then you get saturation. And then unfortunately, unless you have any kind of extension strategy to innovate on said product, then you see the decline. Mm. Um, which shouldn't be a model that we apply to art and creativity, but when it's contextualized through business, like you said, a lot of larger institutions and people that are focused on numbers will be a very risk adverse. So sure. they do the same thing. I wanted to ask you as well, um, Mr. Bubble, about um, in terms of uh, feeling young or maintaining a certain level of vitality mm-hmm. more than youth, how much do you think your creativity um, contributes to that as well? Because I can't. Oh, well, if, if you're tired, <clears throat> your, crea- your creation will be at a minimum. Mm. You have to be fresh, get enough to. In fact, recently I was speaking to Jane Fonda. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and she, for an 86 year old woman, looks really good. And uh, one of my sisters said, well, she's had work done. And the other one said, no. She was the creator of workout videos from the beginning. So she always knew that the importance of getting your blood around your veins. Mm -hmm. And for eight, I mean, she's the same age as my mum, and my mum's not nearly as alert as her. Hmm. Yeah. I think Jane Fonda is a a classic example of somebody. And, And why I asked about the psychological aspect, where I feel like. Jane Fonda, throughout her career, an also illustrious career, was very outspoken about things that she felt were dear to her heart, and she was always outspoken about humanitarian crises. Absolutely. She was very, she was very outspoken about the Vietnam War, for example, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of, uh, I guess, anti-imperialist um, rhetoric came from Jane Fonda as well. Yeah, and I wonder a solid if, woman. Yeah, and I, think that's, if, I wonder if that's one of the things that keeps you very young, because even like, you know, I look at people like Harry Belafonte and mm-hmm. and obviously now recently departed Cicely Tyson, but even then, like Cicely Tyson lived to her nineties. I think Harry yeah. Belafonte must be approaching that time himself as well. Yeah. And I again, I really feel like it's the positivity that they contribute towards their community and their push for using yeah. their um creative platforms to empower their communities. Sydney uh, Poitier. Sydney Poitier as well, yeah. I think that a lot of his longevity is due to the fact that how he conducted himself throughout his career and Mm -hmm. you know which is why I think you'd be the best person to think that like you know I think there's a large pressure for up-and-coming creatives to have their success represented by material wealth Mm. Um, and obviously with someone who's has as much experience as, as yours would you say that it's been the Financial success that's kept you young and healthy more than, you know... At all not. Healthy your mind. At all not, because um, <clears throat> the life of a musician is very um, seesaw. Mm. It's up and it's down, and it's up and it's down, and it's down and it's down and it's down and it's mm. down, and then it might just start to creep up. I mean, I've been doing it for 50 years. Uh, when I look back at the first um, recordings I made... Um, there's one that comes to mind where, uh, my friend Nick Straker and I, uh, we went, we wrote a song. We wanted to record it right there and then. So we took the yellow pages and found a recording studio. That recording studio has since become the home of reggae in London, you know, for lots of artists. And, um, when we recorded that song and, and manufactured it ourselves and gave it to a, a record label to distribute. He distributed it, but um, didn't remunerate us. Mm-hmm. And um, I was thinking, well, that song's, you know, perhaps not worth pushing again. And then Trojan, a record company, heard it and went, we should put that out. Hmm. And I was like, okay, you guys are at the front, you know, the top of the trade. If you think that it's going to make it, do it. Also, um, I had constructed uh, another version of a song that I was involved with. And, you know, it was very prominent. Um, a song called Caught You in a Lie by a singer called Louisa Mark. Now, this song was originally uh, a cover of an American R&B by a man. And it was the the scene was that the man was saying to uh, his girlfriend, "I've caught you in the lie because I've seen you kissing that guy that you said was your cousin, right?" Mm-hmm. And um, well, we changed it around for Louisa, a girl saying it to a guy, and then I reclaimed it, <laughs> um, recording 
in my kitchen whilst teaching my young daughter how to, um, you know, find her way around recording equipment because I wanted her to not be beholding to people in studios or hanging about late at night, you know, and all kinds of unsavory characters. So I said to her, I will teach you how to do that. So I got some recording equipment and um, got her to, you know, get into recording. Hmm. She was uh, 16 at the time. And then I recorded this song, Caught You in a Lie, and I never released it. And when the record company heard it, they went, how long have you done that? I was 15, 20 years, perhaps. <laughs> and they said, you should put that out. So, hmm. you know, that's on, on the anthology right now. Mm. Well, I mean, I have found this incredibly useful and inspiring, Dennis, to hear how you've kept so fresh, mate. Ginger, some some uh, Chinese exercises, yeah. and lots of creativity. The, the 81. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, the 81. And uh, yep. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hopefully be still doing this with Dane when Fruit I'm your breakfast. age. Fruit breakfast. You know, breakfast. get your kiwi, your mango, right, your banana, nice. right? Have yeah. your... You know, strawberries, uh, blueberries, yeah, blackberries, yeah. red berries, you yeah. know. Get them all in a, there. A fruit breakfast, yeah. And, um, you know, a spot of porridge. All right, nice. Any you particular know, type? Cornmeal? Royal oats, man. A royal oats. It's <laughs> got no taste at all. It's just like eating paper. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's supposed to be doing, good for you. Doing yeah, it. just pure yeah. nutrients. Well, um, uh, any of our older listeners are welcome to send in their uh, thoughts on what keeps them young. But um, otherwise, Dane, it's over to you, mate, for the final question of today's show. Yes, and um, I think this should be a relatively uh, easy question. Um, I just want to start by throwing up some names, like Mm. uh, the Pasadenas, Rochford, Soto Sol, My boys. uh, Beverly Knight, Shy FX. All my brethren. Yeah. And the reason <laughs> I'm putting those names out is because I feel like each one of these guys are all trailblazers who were in spaces where we didn't see people that looked like us. At all. At, at all. Junior Jiskum. Junior Jiskum, another one, yep. Yeah. Junior's obviously Junior's um nephew is Richard Blackwood, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in fact, I uh, at school, I was in the same drama group. As Junior's elder sister, hmm. and so uh, and and Richard's dad was my first friend that I had when I come to the UK on a Thursday, and then on a Saturday I was obliged to attend Brixton Seventh Day Adventist Church with my mother, hmm. and there I met Clifford Blackwood, and we've been friends oh, <laughs> ever amazing. since. Wow. Amazing, and and the reason I bring up is because obviously there is I think that and I, I think most people can see there is a. Uh, there is a bond between comics and musicians in that I'd say most comics are aspiring to be able to recreate the same aesthetic as musicians in terms of audience and live performance. And I think a lot of a lot of musicians like to uh, intersperse their work with comedy, whether it's like creating an environment that's nice to work in, or even like yeah. skits that you used to see on long play albums and stuff previously as well. But the reason I mention those names alongside yours as well is because I feel like there have been certain renaissance periods within the journey of black music in the UK, mm-hmm. um, which haven't always been chronicled. Um, and I think now we're probably enjoying, through the advent of digital media, another renaissance of black music. Yeah, we can look back. I mean, I've, I've made a program with Lee John um, mm. about, the, you know, the, the course of him <clears throat> and uh, imagination and all that, right? And it's incredible that flashback it's called his program. Nice. Oh, even even five star. I shouldn't leave them out either. So yeah, no. Lots of lots of these uh, for me. Like I said, these are trailblazers. Grace Jones. Um, and, and the names could go on and on. But and True. and I love the idea that you're putting together an anthology because I think it's important for anyone who is an enthusiast about British music and just an enthusiast about black music in general. It's important to know these names and these events. But I just want yeah, to ask we have you, to know who came before us. Precisely. And so I wanted to ask you with that background, and I just wanted to qualify by saying that I'm aware of some of these people, but I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you personally, Mr. Dennis Bubble, for your time with a career that has spanned five decades, 
three generations, what would you say were the maybe three top periods of black British music that you experienced in terms of like the maybe the emergence of a scene or like, you know, the emergence of a new sound where you were like, this is going to be, this is, this is amazing or this is going to change mm. things? Well, the hustle, the hustle sparked off a new R&B thing here. Yeah. And um, hmm. uh, let me see. In reggae now, when uh, we decided to have this new genre unleashed, right, calling it Lover's Rock, um, it brought to the fore people like um, Karen Wheeler, who was a part of Brown Sugar. Mm -hmm. And um, they did that first song, I'm in Love with the Dreadlocks. Mm -hmm. And um, I watched Karen go from there to soul to soul. I mean, and this was a young girl that at the age of 15 was very, very interested in music. And she plays a mean clarinet, uh, mm. although she wouldn't do it in public, but she plays a mean clarinet. That was her instrument, you know. And uh, her vocal timbre was, you know, second to none nearly in the UK at the age of 15, you know. And when people like that can rise and you can chart their rise, for me, it's um, you know, it's a it's a reassuring. Mm -hmm. So to interrupt, that, um, Dennis as well. How would, I was thinking about this the other day because obviously, it's like um, "Back to Life" is a song that you know transcended borders, and mate. the way it's even played in the states is played as if it's an American song. Mm -hmm. um, is there was there a way that that the genre, that was there a genre to use to describe the music that was um, "Back to Life" as a song? Was it, would the, could you pigeonhole or categorize that? as as a song because Brit R&B R&B Brit R&B and um, Jazzy B mm -hmm. right um, had this idea because he was a DJ and he frequently listened to music he wanted to create his own thing and he started off as a sound system soul to soul and had you know built it right up in fact uh, last year I did a festival with him at Crystal Palace and um, it was phenomenal the way the, the, the audience reacted to Soul to Soul set, you know. Mm. Yes, yeah, so this day. Um, at, at the time, because would you say that would be one of the eras? Because I don't, I don't want to... Uh, yeah. yeah. That, who, I mean... Who, which other artists were, were around at the time? The um, then there was, a, there was an influx of um, the punks turning mm. to reggae. Mm. And... Um, you know, like um, people outside of the diaspora turning to reggae and, and trying it and actually getting on with it. I mean, Madness are a perfect example mm -hmm. of a group that took something that was alien to them and made it their own. And um, Omar... I was thinking, that, that's exactly what I was thinking, to be honest. Okay, Omar is the champion of all that, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, he told me that when he collected his MBE, Prince Charles um, sang to him, there's nothing like this. <laughs> yeah, not surprised. Yeah, not surprised. <laughs> also, Brinsley Ford said that when he went to the palace to collect his um, MBE, Prince William said to him, you know, if you ever need a bass player, I'm your man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is great to hear. This is so cool. Because um, mm. like I said, it, it's like when, as a, a kid, obviously the uh, ways by which you're able to consume media has changed significantly and you can kind of yeah. actively find what you want. But for me, like on the listening to the radio or watch, I used to watch the chart show as well. Mm. And, yeah, it was, it'd be seldom that you would see someone that looked like yourself. But when you did, for me, there's so many songs that I might have heard as just a single. I may not have heard the whole discography of those acts, but like I said, people like the Pasadenas, they stand yeah. out in my mind to this day. Well, like the Pasadenas are a fellow uh, South, Wen South London people. Nice. Because I grew up in Battersea and so did they. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. Hmm. And, and, and are, they, are they still musically inclined? Do you still see those guys? Uh, I haven't for a while because um, I'm now in North London mm -hmm. and um, I... I don't visit South London as much as I used to. Dennis, how uh, could you? They're, how they're still could you? There. And, and Princess is still there too. Um, 
Nice. Um, so that would have been one. Is there another point in time? Because I, I, I remember the, the Brit R&B and obviously you had like, you know, Jazzy B Sold Soul and Omar. Mm-hmm. Um, you did Five Star, obviously Sade. Yeah. Um, then there was kind of the, in terms of, like you said, the reggae. I remember, I recall seeing like, you know, Bitty McLean and uh-huh. Pato Banton. And, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, Pato Banton. Uh, once uh, we were in <clears throat> Brazil, Linton and I, during the sound check, some guy just came out of the and went, Linton, Dennis, all right? And uh, we waved back and Linton went, who was that? I said, don't you recognize Pato Banton? <laughs> and we had a good laugh because he'd been, in Brazil, for such a long time, we'd forgotten about him until he did that single with UB40, um, Baby Come Back. Mm. Oh, yes, it's yeah, a yeah. yeah. Eddie Grant champion song. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was a sample. Okay, cool. Big I mean, that's song. another person as well, Eddie Grant, because he's. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm Guyanese as well. Yeah. It's interesting well, how, how some of the things you said, Dane, <clears throat> they're people who maybe people have heard of for like one or two songs, but obviously. These people have careers that have, yeah. you know, have huge. Like, isn't it right, Dennis? It's kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? To, to mm. think that some Eddie of these Grant's people. Eddie Grant's a man. Mm. Yeah. I was speaking Absolutely. to him the other day, and uh, because he was the first person that said to me, You wait until you go to Argentina and see the reaction to people for reggae there. And I thought, Argentina? Who's oh, bloody far away? I mean, uh, we just <laughs> had that Falkland um, <laughs> thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, and he. When I went to Argentina, someone there said to me, you know, Eddie Grant was the first reggae artist that ever played in Argentina. And when he was on the stage, he brought Diego Maradona on and the place erupted. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have to. Oh, that sounds amazing. This is what, um, this is what I mean. I, I think it's, it's, it's even though a lot of people in my generation and successive generations would argue that now is a great time. I think, you know, these various periods that you'd seen, they yeah, were, those were great times. Yeah, they were great times. And I just, and like I said, I just want to make sure that there is a chronicle of this, um, all of the work that's been done. Because I, I feel like one one of the ways we tend to lose out to our American peers is that with hip-hop and obviously with preceding work, they have a lineage of heritage artists that they can use as reference and have a point where I think that maybe those bridges aren't as well-built mm-hmm. in the UK well, there's one thing, the, the volume of their output, mm-hmm. right? Because there's more of them and yeah. more of their music than us, mm-hmm. right? So we have to struggle. I mean, I think the Beatles found it very hard to break into America and mm-hmm. subsequently other groups that, you know, tried to break into America. And then you get soul to soul champing in it in America yeah. mm-hmm. and winning lots of awards and that, you know. And, and, um, and, and money love, right? Yeah. And, 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 and you could argue Slick Rick because he was from here originally at the time. That's so. right. You know, yeah. um, also, I once watched um, Jazzy B receive an award in America and he said, look, this award actually belongs to people like Loose Ends. Hmm. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Loose yeah, ends well. Loose Ends, man. Carl. Yeah. Well, it, it, and nobody knew Loose Ends here, but they were big in America. Yeah. They're really big in America, actually. Yeah, I know. It's really interesting hmm. that uh, they received the same kind of thing here. Do you, do you do you think then as is is there um, an effort that's taking place in order to locate and celebrate these people? Because I, I mean, it's one of the reasons we have the podcast. Be. Well, I was going to say then with that on that basis, um, would you be able to let these people know we'd love to have them on the podcast? Yeah, and man, we're blessed because and, all these and people are my on. friends, you know. And I'd really and, uh, appreciate, yeah, if you could uh, pass on because I just think it's. And it's, it's been part of my work as well, just as a comic, that obviously nostalgia mm. plays a part in the narrative of comedy and you talk about remembering when. And mm. music is always, a, I, I think, the best tool in stimulating memories because normally you may not remember things that took place at a point in time, but mm. the soundtrack to a particular period... Will jog your memory. Precisely, yeah. So I think I it's mean, very a important. Lot, yeah. Not a lot of people know that Carol Thompson, in fact, worked extensively with uh, Robbie Williams and the Pet Shop Boys, Boy George, you know, as hmm. as a, a vocalist um, and toured the world with them. Uh, but we know her as Carol Thompson. I'm hmm. so sorry, you know, hopelessly in love. Yeah. But um, she was saying to me the other day that um, remembering all her 
travels with all those, you know, top-rate um, musicians, it, it stood her in good stead to, to see how audiences react and see what tones they react to. And uh, she's a, a very prolific songwriter. Mm. Please, again, pass on our best wishes and ask her to please be a guest on the podcast because, yeah. you, know, we, we, um, you know, we've, we've had uh, Shirley Thompson, who is a classical composer. I, want to I know Shirley. Okay, yeah, so Shirley's been on the show as well. And so, yeah, for, mm. for, for this, for us, it's very important that we know that self-image. Yeah, Bushkin's been on the show as well. Oh, um, right. Heartless Crew, yeah. So because, and I guess the idea is that we understand that one of the biggest questions people ask themselves as extensionally is about themselves and who they are and where they're from. And so mm. we like to have people like yourselves and the opportunity to give you the flowers and show our appreciation for how you've pushed the envelope for black creatives in this country, Mr. Dennis Bovell. So, yeah. Right on. That's um, yeah, great. Um, uh, before before I just wanted to ask another part how it as well is that with that being said and obviously you having very great insight into the chronology of black music music in this country mm. are there of the newer accent artists now are there three people that you like in particular well Kano is one of my favourites nice mm. always a good and, choice and um, Rex yeah, Rhett. oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> Mr. Jermaine Scott is the guy, yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, Rhett is a, he's wretched, man. <laughs> he's wretched yeah. out there. And um, Skepto. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good choice. You know, yeah, yeah. But it's spelled, you know, because I have to listen to these youngsters to hear what they're saying. And yeah. if they say something I don't like, contact them and go, yo, you shouldn't be saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. It's Love a, it's it. a real um, evolution, Godfather position. Um, yeah. Yeah. Dennis, it has been a, a, a joy and a privilege for us to talk to you today, right, Dane? Like, just yes. a brilliant episode. I feel like we've only scratched the surface. I think on the intro, yeah, so definitely a part two. But as I say, um, we definitely want to create an environment where we celebrate... Uh, uh, people, uh, men and creatives and souls such as yourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we wish that we can continue the conversation with yourself and other artists that have paved the way for people like myself to be here. Um, yeah. So thank you very much. Um, could you tell our listeners where we can find out more about your good works, what they should look out for, and when to check out the discography? Yes, look out for The Dubmaster, The Essential Anthology. It's um, spanning my work for 50 years with um, what, Trojan Records deemed to be the most interesting cuts. There's more to come because um, I'm threatening to bring out an anthology too. I mean, the Beatles did. I think it should be done and um, please make it available on streaming platforms as well for people. Most definitely. Well, that was the reason why I went with Trojan Records because um, BMG, one of the Mm -hmm. master record companies of the world, just acquired the Trojan label and they invited me to be back on the Trojan label because with Matundi, I was on the Trojan label in 1973 wow. when we did a cover version of Hot Chocolate's Brother Louie. Mm. And uh, Trojan liked it. And, you know, that was our first release. So to be ushered back into the fold of Trojan, which um, I might add has um, the reputation of, you know, the most reggae releases in Europe. I mean, you know, and to be at the home of reggae seemed to be the place. Oh, nice. Well, it, it's nice to have a, a good homecoming, and uh, I'm glad it bodes well for you. Um, yeah. But yeah, again, as I say, uh, uh, Mr. Dennis Bubble, thank you so much for coming on the show. And please do pass on our goodwill to um, your uh, fellow peers and creatives, whether they have an MB or not. We'd love them to come on the show and pick their yeah. brain about their contribution to creativity. So thank you very much again. Well, I've been given an MB, you know. Well, I know, I know. Okay. And, um, and well deserved. At first, I thought it was a hoax. <laughs> I didn't pay much attention to it until until it, it became real. Um, they published my name in the Royal Gazette, and Lyndon Cressy Johnson sent me a congratulations, and I'd forgotten that I um, said, yeah, yeah, you could put my name in the Gazette, you know. And it came out uh, on a Saturday morning, and Lyndon was straight on the phone going, oi! <laughs> so, yeah. Tell Lyndon to come on the show, please. Oh yeah, most definitely. Yeah, we'll make it happen, and let's continue um, the conversation. Thank you again, Dennis. It's been a real pleasure and a joy for us. So, uh, yeah, hopefully. And uh, me too.
You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBapTweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTeast. Our guest was Dennis Bovel. You can follow Dennis on Twitter at DubMaestro1 or on Instagram at Dennis Bovel. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at WeAreAudioCulture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.